Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all this morning. How you doing? Yeah, that was really weak. You've got more energy than that, right? How are you all doing? Good. That's much better. Thank you. I'll keep going if I need to. So, Hey, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater, and I'm really excited to be able to study God's Word with you here this morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Psalm 139. If you want to use your phone, um, you can open up there. If you don't happen to have your own copy of the Bible, I've got good news for you as I'm losing things, so just ignore me. Uh, I've got good news for you. There's some copies out in the foyer. There's uh, little orange copies you can grab. You can have that for free, okay, because we want to make sure that you have a copy of the Bible just to be able to study for yourself, okay? So make sure and grab one of those, all right? Now, let me give you a little bit of context about what we're going to talk about today and what we have been talking about. We're doing a series called In Tune, okay? You just got done listening to the band. They did a great job, right? Amen? It's good. I'm thankful for them. Uh, They do a great job of making sure, or at least presenting the environment where we can sing in tune. (laughs) I'm not saying we all sing in tune. (laughs) Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I I occasionally uh, get off tune. But the beauty of being of tune is that it it essentially brings us all into the spot where we're on the, the same note, we're heading in the same direction, Right? And the idea of of being in tune also applies to our relationship with God. It's the idea of making sure that we are in tune with him, heading in the same direction, on the same path, same frequencies, same wavelengths, hearing what he has to say and and listening to what he's saying to us and, and obeying. Over the last two weeks, we've talked about some things that we can do to make sure that we are in tune with God. Two weeks ago, we talked about really something I think that gets neglected often. I'll speak for myself, maybe not for you. Something that's easy for me to neglect is fasting. And how often does fasting cause me to push pause on other seemingly good things and to say no to them for a bit so I can say yes to something so much better and listen to God and create that space so I can pray and interact with God. And that was really challenging. I've continued to be challenged with that through my small group as we've, we've been talking about fasting and praying and, and several of us have been fasting and our staff as well. Last week... One of our other pastors, Josh, came and talked with us about worship and how worship is really our battle plan, like in the middle of difficulty, when when tough stuff is creeping up, when fear and worry begins to abound, when really my reaction is, okay, I need to figure out a plan to fix this, because I'm a fixer. Can anybody else? Fixers unite. Oh, you all are liars. Okay. I'm a fixer. And sometimes what we need is to stop trying to fix and we just need to get on our knees and praise God. Because you know what? I don't know if you know this or not, but he's bigger than me. He's bigger than you. And so worship is really our battle cry and, and, and worship is the thing that often God waits on until he brings peace. Worship precedes peace. Well, this week, we're going to talk about, honestly, what I think is the biggest obstacle to being in tune with God. Um, To set us up, 
I want to share with you four little words before we put them up here, okay? Before we put them up here, let me tell you about these four little words. These four little words can strike fear. They can strike worry. They can strike doubt. They, they strike fear, worry, and doubt, not because of what they mean, but honestly, they strike fear, worry, and doubt in me because of what they could mean. Because when I hear these four little words, I start to think about, oh no, what's going on? What's happening? What, what, it, what, what is about to happen? Let me, let me share these four little words with you and see if you can identify. You ever heard these words? We need to talk. <laughs> That's fun, right? Imagine with me. You've been at work all day. You're excited. You, you had a long day. I mean, it, it was rough, and you are glad to be done with work. And all you're thinking about is getting home and being able to have some time with your family or be, have some time, you know, and, and just, just chill, relax, wind down, because you know that, that 5 or 6 or 7 a.m. is coming early again tomorrow, and you're just ready to unwind. And you walk in the door. And as you're walking up to the door, maybe if you happen to be someone who has a family with children, you hear lots of commotion inside. I mean, it's loud enough that you can hear it outside. And then you walk inside the house, and, and, and all you're thinking is, man, I can't wait. We can have dinner. We can relax. You know, it would be cool. It would be great. And then you, you walk inside the door, and all you see is your spouse, and they're standing there staring at you like this. And the four little words you hear are not... You know, honey, I'm glad you're home. I don't know how many words that was, but <laughs> honey, I'm glad you're home. That's five. Okay, five. <laughs> but the words you hear are this. We need to talk. What starts racing through your mind? Uh-oh. What did I do? That's a guilty conscience. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All of these things start to whirl in our head. Or imagine you're at work, you just got into work, and, and, and you got into your workspace, and everything's going to be great, you're all excited, you know, you think that it's going to be a good day, you're excited to do your job, you're on a, a project, and it seems to be going well, and the next thing you know, you see your boss and their boss Walking towards your workspace, what's going through your mind? Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. Remember that? Remember that? And before you know it, they get to your workspace, and they step up, and instead of saying, hey, we just came out here because we care about you so much, and we want you to know you're, you're doing a great job, they say this. Say it with me. We need to talk. What are you feeling? If you're anything like me, you're feeling fear, worry, you're, fear, you're feeling all sorts of emotions. Why? Because all of a sudden, with those four little words, there's the possibility of being in trouble. All of a sudden, with those four little words, whether you did something or not, whether you messed up or not, whether you know that there's something there or not, you're starting to go, hmm. You're evaluating, and, and you're feeling like there's a possibility of something happening. You're feeling the possibility of this, the possibility of being exposed. That's, that's the possibility. Maybe you didn't even do anything. 
But we all feel that. Exposure is not something that, that we love. We don't like to lean into it. I mean, imagine a little kid. You've all seen this. A little kid who's done something wrong and they know they've done something wrong. Tell me in your, in, in your previous experience, what do they do? If they're anything like little kids that I've seen, they run and hide. What, what is that? It's, it, it's fear of exposure. We feel it. We know it. We know what that's like. None of us like that. And that's really the issue. There's fear because you have to confront the truth about yourself. There's fear that there might be something brought up that now you have to deal with. Maybe your spouse might bring something up, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or just a friend or your kids or a coworker or a boss or a neighbor. They might bring something up that all of a sudden you actually have to deal with. And here's the thing, that exposure reveals the number one barrier to being in tune with God. It reveals the greatest obstacle, I think, to walking closely with God, to carrying out what Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, in a conversation with the people of Israel, he says, God's already told you what, what he requires of you, and he says this, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. This thing that we're going to talk about today is the number one obstacle, and here's what it is. The greatest obstacle to being in tune with God is unrepentant sin. And exposure highlights the fact that maybe there's something inside that I need to deal with and I just don't want to. Now, I'm going to be honest. None of us like talking about sin. It's like a S word. It's like, blah, sin, blah. And the reality is that really the only place we actually talk about sin is church. We tend to talk about things like mistakes. I want to be clear with you. You and I are not mistakers. I'm not a mistaker. I didn't make a mistake on a math test. I've, I've done things wrong. And it's very easy for me to try to push them down and hide them. And storm away and hope that, hope that nobody will ever open that door and nobody will ever find out. Like imagine with me. Imagine with me somebody walks up to you and asks you the, or says to you, I know about you. What's your first thought? Hmm. We don't like that. And in order for us to be a people who can be in tune with God, in order for us to be a people who can, who can hear his voice and, and draw near to him and, and pray and talk to him and know that he is hearing and working on our behalf, we must grow in being a people who will listen to what he has to say about us when he tells us the truth and then we make changes. We cannot be a people who just live in unrepentant sin. In fact, here, here's, here's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, here's the overarching, the big idea. It's this. The person who wants to be in tune with God refuses to hide from the truth and then chooses to seek God's adjustments. Did you catch that? Two things. Hide and seek. 
okay? Just remember that. If you want to remember something very simple, hide and seek. The person who wants to be in tune with God will refuse to hide from the truth of what God has to say and will choose to seek to make the adjustments that he prescribes. Let me, let me show you, okay? The, the scripture is very, very clear on this, in fact, okay? In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, it's at the very end. If you opened up your Bible a while back and you, you, you turned to 139, look at the very last two verses, okay? Verses 23 and 24 say this. Search me, God. Whoa, those are heavy words. Search me. You ever been pulled over before? You don't have to raise your hands. <laughs> Let's ask some more personal questions. Ever been arrested before? <laughs> no, sorry. Okay. I got pulled over once when I was in college. I had been out hunting with a friend. We had a we had a bunch of uh, we we had a bunch of ammunition and, and, and guns in the, in the back of the car because we'd been hunting. When I got pulled over, I said to the officer, as soon as he came up, I said, I want you to know we've just been hunting, so there's a bunch of firearms in the back. Why did I say that? I said that because I did not want him <laughs> to be surprised if he had to search my vehicle. That's a little scary, isn't it, to say, search me. Check my heart, check my life, check my words, check my motives, check all of it. God, search me and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. These are the words of King David and he's asking God to examine him. He says, I don't want to live an unexamined life. I don't want to hide my stuff. I don't want to hide from your truth. I want you to tell me the truth, and I want to be ready to hear it directly from your mouth. And then in verse 24, he says this, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He's saying, I get it that unrepentant sin will put up a wall between you and me. Why does he ask if there's any offensive way in him? It's, it's simple. It's simple. He says it for one reason and one reason only. It's this. Unrepentant sin will put up a barrier between you and God. That's what it does. It puts up this wall that stops the connection between me and God. It, it doesn't mean that we don't have a relationship with him. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love me. It doesn't mean that he's done with us. What it does is the same thing that it does in any other relationship. If I lie about you, I've broken our relationship. If I gossip about you, I've broken our relationship. Can it be fixed? Yes. But that stuff has to be dealt with. You understand? This is, what, this is what David is saying. He's saying, I get it. I know it. I understand. It's creating barriers in my connection to you. In a different psalm, the same psalmist David says this. In psalm 66 and verse 18, he says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Did you catch that? If I hang on to my sin... 
God doesn't hear my prayer. Does that freak anybody else out? If I hang on to my bitterness, God doesn't hear my prayer. If I hang on to my lust, God doesn't hear my prayer. If I hang on to my unforgiveness or my jealousy or my anger, if I hang on to my hatred of my brother, if I hang on to my sin, God will not hear me. Do you you catch what we're going after? Unrepentant sin puts up a barrier in our connection to God. See, here, here, here's the problem. Let me illustrate the problem for you really quickly, okay? Um, that I, I need you to know something about me personally. I think that cats are the spawn of Satan, okay? Some of you obviously agree. Thank you. It's, uh, it's good. I, I, I want to show you a, a picture. Would you look at this quick picture, okay? Look at that. Oh, my word. It's so cute. I could just stare at that. I don't want to touch it because they make me sneeze. This cute little cuddly kitten, I think most of us think our sin is a little bit like this. Like it's not really that big of a deal. It's kind of cuddly and I kind of enjoy it. And, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. Whether it's something that you're doing at work or something that you're doing at home or something that's, that I'm just cherishing in my heart, I think I, I'm with you. I tend to think, well, it's not really that big of a deal, but in reality, can I just show you what they really are, what it really is? It's this, okay? I'm sorry, but that's the spawn of Satan, right? You, do, are, you, are you with me? Come on. I don't know what it is, but they are wicked. Like, they hide and they buy. I'm sorry if you're a cat person. I apologize. I'll stop. I'll get off of it. But here's the deal. Like, I just think, I think we tend to believe that, that our stuff is really probably not that big of a deal. And you know why I think we think that? We compare it to everybody else. And the trouble is, it's really not compared to everybody else. It's really in line with, hey, is this honoring to God? And what does God think about it? And will I have the humility to acknowledge that what God says is true? See, what David was saying in Psalm 66 is a lot like what, what we're about to find out here soon. Uh, we're, we're about to pull out hoses to start water, watering gardens and doing all I, I have to believe that winter is almost over. Please believe that with me, okay? We're, we're going to start bringing out hoses and watering gardens and all kinds of stuff. And whenever you pull out the hose for the first time, you know your hose is going to have like 5,000 crinks in it. And you turn the water on and the, and, and the tap just won't run. Why? Because it's bound up someplace. You ever experienced that? That's what sin does to our communication and the flow of, of us being able to be in tune with God. Crinkles it up, stops it, doesn't let us be and do who God wants us to be and do. It doesn't let us hear him the way we need to hear him. It keeps us from responding. And we need to be people who refuse to hide from the truth that God gives us and choose to seek the proper adjustments. Now, let me take you back to the text, and here's what I want to show you in Psalm 139, okay? 
In the text, there are three reasons that it is foolish to hide our sins. I'm going to walk you through this quickly, okay? All the way in verse 1. Look at verse 1. Okay, here's what it says. It says, you have searched me, Lord. You know me. You can see a common theme throughout this psalm. This psalm is all about what does God know, who is God, and what does it all mean, okay? This is a, this is a great psalm. Be good for you to study on your own, okay? But he says, you've searched me, Lord, and you know me. Verse 2, you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my, verse 3, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Do you catch what's going on here? The psalmist essentially is, say, is talking to us about why it is foolish for us to try and hide our sin. And the first reason that it's foolish for us to try and hide our sin that shows up is this. God already knows everything about me. You see me. You know me. You know my rising and my lying down. You know, you know when I sit. You, you perceive. You even know my thoughts. Isn't that crazy? God knows your thoughts. Before I say a word, Lord, you know it. God knows everything about you. This thought amazes me. The fact that he doesn't wipe me off the face of the earth, even though he knows me, amazes me. Please don't miss that. The fact that he doesn't just say, that's it, Patton, I'm done. You're out. That tells you something that even though God knows all of it, there's another aspect to God that we're going to get to, but there's something of grace and mercy, kindness and forgiveness and love that I don't want you to miss, okay? Second, look at verse 7. Look at what verse 7 says. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Uh-oh. There's nowhere. He's saying, where can I go? Can I hide? He's asking a question. Where can I flee from your presence? Is it possible for me to go someplace where you couldn't see me? Verse 8 says, if I go up to the heavens, well, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. In verse 11 and 12, he says this, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me. In other words, surely I can do things in the dark that God won't see, and surely I could be in a place where God won't see me. Is that true? He responds and he says this, even the darkness will not be dark to you. Out here, it's interesting. I've lived in the city for almost 20 years. Here, we live on the outskirts of Vestal. No lights, stars, but when it's dark, it's dark. And can I just tell you, we've seen a few bears a couple times, so when I go outside and it's dark, dark, and the bears are black, my mind starts to wonder. I'm used to a place where in the city, even when it was dark, it was light. I don't care how dark it is, the psalmist is saying, God sees I don't care where you are, God sees. And I think for some, I realize in a room like this, this thought is scary. If it's scary to you, will you please hold on with me? Because this is not all that is true about God. 
this is true about God, but there's more, okay? God sees in the dark. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. So secondly, it's foolish to hide our sin from God because there's nowhere that you can hide. There's nowhere that I can hide. We try to hide. Again, I told you earlier about what kids do, and kids will go in a corner and they'll hide, and they'll hide behind a chair, or they'll go in their room, and we do the same thing. We shove things down. People ask us, hey, what's going on? I can tell. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I think that's our standard answer. I'm fine. But God knows. God sees. Let me share with you the, another thought. Verse 17. The third reason why it's foolish to hide our sin, verse 17, says this. I mean, you could read the rest of the verses. The rest of the verses continue to talk about the things that we've been talking about so far. But then verse 17, all of a sudden, there's this really peculiar thought. He says this. Look, if we can pull it up. He says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. In the midst of you seeing me, knowing me, and there's no place I can hide, the psalmist says, man, I am so grateful for your thoughts about me because God knows exactly what you need. God knows what you need before you ever even have an idea that you have a need. He sees you. He knows you. You can't hide from him. He knows what you need. So the third reason it's foolish to hide our sin is this. God knows exactly what you need. The psalmist says, I need your thoughts. I need your help. This is why at the end of the passage, David, the psalmist, says, Search me, God. Know my hearts. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Why would he pray that? Here's why. And everybody who's ever had a relationship knows this. Here's the reason why. You can't have a real relationship without something, without being known. It's fake. I want to be close to my wife. She needs to know me. She needs to know my struggles. I want to be close to my kids. I need to know them. I need to know their, their struggles and their worries and their fears. I need to know their needs. I need to be able to be close to them. It's no different with God. That's why today when, when you leave, I'm going to give every one of you one of, one of these. Now, I, I know you can't see it, but what this is, it's a personal reflection tool. On the front, there are 14 questions, and then on the back, there's another psalm, Psalm 51. The 14 reflection questions ask questions that give us an opportunity to let God search our hearts. And I want to ask you, would you be willing to take Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 seriously and say, God, search me, know me, try me, test my thoughts, check my heart.
Questions like, is there anyone that I have not forgiven? Do I get angry often? Am I neglecting God's word? God, search me, know me, try me. I need to draw near to you. God knows you. But if we hide and we ignore him, it puts up a wall between us. So now what? Well, here's the resolution of it. Here's the other side. Because the reality is, uh, every single one of us have put up walls between us and God. I have put up walls between me and God time and again. And yet the good news is that God's love breaks down the barriers that sin creates. That's, that's the news. That's the other side. I mean, if we want to talk about Paul Harvey and now the rest of the story, this is it. But this doesn't make sense if we don't understand that our sin builds barriers. And yet God comes in and he starts to break them down through his love, through his mercy, through his grace. Today is Palm Sunday, a day that we celebrate Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem on his way to what we call Passion Week, his last week of, of, of life before his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. Jesus entered in on this we celebrate it this day. He entered into Jerusalem riding on a colt, and people lined the ways, lined the, the, the road. In fact, I've been there many times, and you can still go to the very same road that crosses the Jezreel Valley, goes from the Mount of Olives down across the Jezreel Valley, and then up into the Temple Mount. You can still go to the same place today. People stood there, and they declared that Jesus was the Messiah, and five short days later, they were shouting, crucify him. There was an event that occurred later in that week where Jesus demonstrated why he was about to go to the cross. We had a picture of this event. Not a, <laughs> they didn't have cameras back then, in case you were wondering. <laughs> we, had, we, had a, we had a painting, a replica of this picture in, in my home when I was young. Can I show you a picture of it? It looked like this. Anybody seen this before? This is one of the renderings. There's several famous renderings of what is called the Last Supper. This is one. Jesus, knowing that it was now time for him to go to the cross, he, he gathered his disciples together and he asked them to, to prepare a Passover meal. And they went and they sat and had a meal together celebrating God passing over their sins. But Jesus did something interesting at this particular Passover. He, he changed it up. Now this, this picture, I remember looking at this as a kid, but in reality this is not what it would have looked like. This is a very westernized view of what it would have looked like because we sit at tables with chairs. And in the east they would not have done that. In fact, I would tell you it probably looks a little bit more like the second picture it would have looked more like this, where they reclined and leaned 
on a, on a table. But for today, I want you to imagine with me that this is the table. And here's Jesus sitting at the table, and I want you to imagine with me who's sitting at that table. You have sitting at that table a man named Peter. Peter who later, that night into the next morning, would actually deny that he ever even knew knew Jesus. He'd do it three times. He would get tripped up by a tiny little middle school girl. Somehow she scared him. You have sitting to Jesus's, you know, just off, off one from Jesus, you have a man named Judas, who later that night would leave the room and go and collect a bag of silver so that he could betray Jesus and turn him over. You have sitting at that table all of the disciples, all of whom got scared and ran and acted like they never knew him. You have Thomas sitting at that table who later would doubt that Jesus could ever raise from the dead. See, here's here's the thing. Jesus then, sitting at this table, began to walk through communion and, 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 and institute this, this first time of having communion. And he said, he took bread and he broke it and he said, hey, my body is about to be this bread broken for you. And he took a cup and he shared it and he said, my blood is about to be poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And yet there's some things that he knew. This is what he knew. He knew Judas's sin. He knew Thomas's doubt. He knew Peter's fear. He knew their lack of faith. And yet Jesus said this. Listen, let's read it together. This is what Jesus said. Matthew 26, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. And then he said this, in verse 28, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What is it that tears down the barrier? God's forgiveness. And here's the thing. I want you to imagine, I mean, you're sitting here, and there's Judas. Jesus knew, and he offered it to him. There's Peter, and Jesus knew, and he offered it to him. And there's Thomas, and there's James and John, and there's, you know, the sons of thunder who only want, they only want, you know, power and authority for themselves, and Jesus knew. And I want you to imagine with me, there's one more empty chair. And that chair is there for you. There is a chair at that table for you. God knows everything about you. You can't hide from him. You can't. And he knows what you need. And because he knew what you need, he sent his son. And the greatest barrier to you and I 
being in tune with God is this unexamined life where we live in unrepentant sin, I want to ask you, aren't you ready to let it go? Aren't you ready to lay it down? Aren't you ready to remove the wall and the barrier and say, God, I'm done fighting. Here I am. I want to give you the opportunity to do just that because here in a minute, we're going to partake in communion just like they did. There's nothing special about the bread. There's nothing special about the juice. (laughs) It's Jesus who is special and he just pulled out a chair and he said, come sit down because you belong. That's my prayer for you. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would help us to lean into having an examined life. I pray right now that we would examine our own lives. That we would take a look We would ask you to take a look and we would listen to you. And when you tell us that something needs to change, we would say, yes, here it is. And that we'd allow your spirit to apply your word to our lives so that we would make the appropriate adjustments. Even now as we prepare for communion, God, I pray that we would lay our sin down and listen to you. Pray in Jesus' name.